Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm Terry Herc. And Alan Tucker. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. (laughs) We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. The kids that I teach for says, I found your show, and it's not suitable for children. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, uh-oh. That's like, that's what it said in the opening. <laughs> don't tell your mom. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And your roles are like a world without powerful artifacts. Yeah, those are nice. <laughs> so we got a, a, a really exciting uh, show for you guys. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We're really excited to discuss um, our main topic today, which is artifacts of the guild. We have an awesome question from uh, Jonas P. in regards to ever-changing events in the world. Um, and then, of course, we have our Honor Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. But we like to start every episode off on a high note, and we do that by giving away Fat Loot's compliments of our sponsor, Goblin Stone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Compliments of Goblin Stone. <laughs> what is it you always say? Goblin Stone is Problems a, are a feature of the show. D&D yeah. fans based out of the UK. <laughs> they aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Hey, Terry. Yes. Who's our winner today? Our winner is Oren Berg. I swear I'm a full-grown man. <laughs> Physically. <laughs> Congratulations, Origin.Berg. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to Goblinstone and leave them a review and tell them how much you love the product, because I know I love running it. I've probably run that thing like 10 times, and it's always amazing. So... Before we get into our Let's Talk About Blank segment, uh, we like to spend a few minutes talking about what's going on in our realms. As our guest guests, uh, Terry, why don't you tell us what's going on in your realm? This is uh, my personal game or just kind of my life in general? Wh- whatever you want to talk about. You want to talk about D&D? Talk about D&D. You want to talk about taking out the trash and the, the weird looks you got from your strangers because you saw some weird shaped shit coming out the side of it? You can do that too. 
Well, probably the first one would be more interesting. So okay. <laughs> uh, I recently finished a campaign. It, we had two DMs and we had kind of a good versus evil campaign. Ooh. So we had two different parties and we were in the same world interacting with each other. Super challenging to manage kind of both groups, but mm -hmm. it was a, a really cool story where the hijinks of one group would interact with the other group. Really, really fun. We, we pulled it off and it finished with a big battle at the end. Great experience. That sounds awesome. I'm picturing at one point where one party would go through a dungeon first and take out the crap, whereas the second group was I'm like, where is everything? <laughs> it's all gone. Actually, that happened. It was a very confusing session. <laughs> like, where's all the enemies in the loot? Yeah, it was good times. That's very, very cool. Uh, what about you, Alan? Well, let's see. I think my uh, campaign I'm running right now, the, the players are kind of caught between trying to defeat some rising Emerald Claw stuff going on in Eberron, as well as a terrorist group that is uh, bombing uh, the lightning rail on airship stations and things like that because they don't like magic. So That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to decide which to go do first. So <laughs> Choices, choices. <laughs> yep, exactly. Very cool. I am curious, uh, Terry, on the, the d two uh, DM, uh, dual DMing, um, did you guys, were you guys in cahoots trying to plan out how it happened or it was kind of just, you did your own thing and then kind of fed off of that? So it was me and a close friend of mine and we met every other week to kind of keep up on what had happened in our sessions and stuff like that. So we planned an, an overarching plot. And then, of course, each session would go off the rails and the group would go in a strange direction. <laughs> so we, we'd try to keep the plan together. And we had some kind of key, let's call it world plot points that would happen. And that would kind of trigger them, get them back on, on track. That is awesome. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was the second time we'd done it, actually. We, we'd run it previously. And then the events that had happened in the first campaign kind of influenced the second one. And a lot of the same players. So it was cool to have that continuity as well. Very cool. Ian, what's going on in your realm? Well, the uh, two major positive things that happened the weekend was uh, Avengers Endgame. I won't say anything else other than the fact that it was awesome. It is awesome. I recommend going to see it. And I ran a 5K this morning, and I my legs are still sore from that. <laughs> well, congratulations. And I'm also a third shifter, so especially after that run, I had to wake up to come here. I'm like, why did I, why, why I wake up? I was just, oh, I keep sleeping. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, though, good times. And I went with coworkers, and we all made it to the end, so. I'm glad to hear that, because I don't feel like I would. All I'm right. terribly out of shape. Well, you are in shape. Round is a shape. You know what? You're right. <laughs> Round is a shape. Thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Right. Bastard. <laughs> What's going on in your realm, Justin? Um, not a whole lot. Um, next week, as of this recording, is our first live show to everyone in the world. Um, so I am extremely nervous. Um, I've got butterflies in my stomach, and it gets progressively worse every day. So I'm pretty concerned about that. They sell some stuff for that. Uh, yeah. I, I tried some <laughs> cocaine, some heroin, and some booze, and it didn't help. But uh, I'll keep trying. Just kidding. Don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am excited. Our Bard College, uh, the War Chanter, comes out next week on Sunday when we release our when we go live. So I'll be giving away uh, a free copy of that. So I'm super excited. So I think that'll do it for In the Realm. Ian, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do so? They can go to our website and they can click on the link where they can get a free trial for Audible where they can visit other realms with a free audiobook. 
I don't know about anybody else, but as a guy that's super busy, audiobooks are awesome. Uh, I'm listening, re-listening to Brendan Sanderson's uh, Way of Kings. If you have not listened to that and you are into D&D or into RPGs as a whole, that is some of the best source of inspiration, I, especially if you've ever really wanted to do a hardcore, the player starting out as slaves. There's a whole like five, six, seven, maybe ten chapters on that, and it they nail it. So definitely, definitely check that stuff out. So moving on to our uh, let's talk about blank segment, we have a question from Jonah P. Do you have events of the world that will happen without the player's involvement, but can be changed if the characters get involved? Um, Terry or Alan, do either of you want to take this first? Uh, sure. I yeah, absolutely. There, as I I mentioned before, there's kind of two different uh, factions going on in, in my game right now. And, and whichever one the players decide to go deal with first means that the other one is going to get to advance their goals, uh, unimpeded, <laughs> uh, for, for a time while the, while the players are dealing with the other one. So, so how do you, how do you maintain that and capture that? Do you have like a timeline and if they don't do something, you kind of gradually move it. And I mean, how does that, how does that work on your DMing style? Um, yeah, basically it's just a matter of knowing what your antagonist goals are. And so once you, once you have that established, then you can say, all right, well, there's step A, B, C, and D that they have to take in order to get, get this done. And, and each one is going to take X amount of time. And so if, if the players are off dealing with the other thing for, 2x amount of time then maybe they've gotten a and b done and that's you know that's going to be where they're at when the players uh change their focus and, and head over there so oh very cool very cool well you come with step one how about two through ten what <laughs> <laughs> um terry how about yourself yeah i take a similar approach to alan in that campaign that i mentioned we actually we literally used a calendar and each group kind of represented a different faction and there was a third faction that they didn't know about that was kind of mounting a rebellion in the, the region that they were operating in. So there was some quest hooks that they didn't really pull on. And then suddenly there was kind of this third force that showed up in the battle. And it was a big surprise to all the players. And I think we pulled it off quite well. It was a good way to show them that actions have consequences and inaction has consequences too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I know, I believe on our show, we've, I've talked about it before um, where I had a scenario where the players had to make really two choices. Um, these uh, bandits were going to burn down a village or this princess was being kidnapped and they weren't going to be paid to <clears throat> save the uh, village from being uh, burned to the ground, but they were going to be paid to save the princess. So they chose to go save the princess who really, wasn't for them was more valuable but in the grand scheme of what was going on it one life over you know a thousand so when they chose to go save her and they came back and the entire village was burned to the ground um <laughs> they're like we what like how can we yeah that you that guy that you was gonna pay you he was in that village and now not only are you not getting paid, but an entire village is gone. So And she's now a princess with no kingdom. <laughs> princess with no 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 
territory, but yeah. But um, what 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 was interesting, and the way I do it, uh, I like the calendar idea. I might actually switch that. I use a timeline. I just write out the the several different timelines, and as they take branching decisions, I cross those off, or I move, I slide them, um, the other factions or the other antagonists, you know, forward a little bit. Every time the players make a a, a branching decision, and most of the time it leads to, um, especially on a much grander scale of say kingdom versus kingdom where some kingdoms start to invade others and that territory that they visited five levels ago is no longer under the control of the kingdom that they're a part of or something similar to that maybe orcs have been raiding and now those villages that they are super known or they've heard of are now no longer are occupied by these orcs or or whatever villain you know is running around at the time so and all that's left is an obsidian outhouse (laughs) (laughs) you love your outhouse don't you yes i do um so for me i think it's very important to have uh events you don't need a million events one or two big events that are happening regardless if the characters get involved or not because it brings the world to life so i think this is really important yes we do this and yes you certainly should jonas um do you guys have any other uh points on this topic i think like anything if you use it like a spice, a little bit is a lot, and a lot can be too much. That can be effective for your campaign. If you use it too many times, you risk taking away the agency of your players, and you always want to make sure that they're the star of the game rather than these events that you've kind of scripted in the background. I think it could be a decent balancing act, though, because it might give them perspective about what their place in the world is. That's good. Yeah, the, that happens in, I don't know if you guys play video games or not, but in World of Warcraft, they did that. Mm-hmm. When I first started, I was just some guy who occasionally helped deliver letters and kill some, you know, <laughs> giant chickens. Um, but as it progressed, now it's to the point where you're the leader and this commander of this, you know, this big force and all this stuff, and you have a bigger role. And I, in my opinion, that's the way D&D should be. You start off, you're just another schmuck that picked up a mm-hmm. sword and has a little bit of practice. Um, and then as you progress, you slowly climb this ladder of responsibility where I think in several games I ran where the party ended up having their own contingents and their own, you know, um, defenses they had in charge of their own villages and their cities where it came to the point they were so important that they had to shovel out money to make sure other people took care of this stuff so <laughs> that'll do it for our let's talk about blank segment um moving on to the meat and potatoes of our podcast the main topic the artifacts of the guild so first of all i want to thank you guys so much again for joining us uh we really really appreciate it um, I know you guys are super busy, so it must have been a, a pain to to, to, to to carve out time to to sit and talk to some random people on the internet. <laughs> uh, not I random. I listen to your random. <laughs> yeah, and, and you've got a fantastic show. I've listened to it on my uh, PodCrunch app a few times, so oh, nice. it's oh, well, great to you. be part of it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, so we're going to be covering Artifacts of the Guild now. I personally love this thing. It has so much content. If I'm not, mi- if I'm not mistaken, it has uh, at least 10 amazing artifacts, 30 different legendary items, more than 50 very rare items, and more than 70 rare items, and almost 100 more on top of that. That is such a massive collection of amazing content. The few. Um, and I can only imagine the amount of work that went into it. But before we talk a little bit about that, I'd like to uh, like each of you, if, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with you, uh, Alan? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I live in Montana, and um, I guess I, I think I'm what the kids call an OG. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been playing, uh, playing D&D since the early 1980s, but um, 
life got in the way at some point after college and, and such. And I took a break and skipped both third and fourth editions before coming back um, to the hobby a couple of years ago. Um, then it wasn't too long after that I found the guild and, and published a few adventures um, late in 2017 and been kind of doing that ever since. Um, biggest biggest thing I've done solo, at least, is a, a book of short encounters um, based on street urchins called Hey Mister, Can You Help Me? <laughs> nice. And that one's um, actually crawling towards platinum uh, at oh, this point uh, it's wow. almost almost there so that's been a lot of fun really really glad to have gotten back into it and it's it's been a it's been a joy terry what about you so i'm in calgary alberta canada and i've been playing DD since third edition so not as long uh, but i've been dming since 2010 and in around 2017 mid 2017 i started publishing on the dms guild I read a, a really good article by AlphaStream called What an Adventure is Worth. And it really made me think about how I could, you know, stretch my creative energies and start writing stuff. So I've been publishing some magic items, adventures, uh, some monsters. And recently, actually, I ran a Kickstarter for an OGL product, which did uh, quite well. We're in the kind of the fulfillment paid phase right now. Nice. Uh, Professor Humbert Drumsley, the five-year adventure codex, so it's in short adventures. And last year, I had a chance to join on this project and do some work for Artifacts of the Guild. Awesome. I'm going to have to pick up both of your guys' products. I know that Edward Tate in our patron chat just says um, he just added this as a, a source to finalize uh, Funeral of the World, one of uh, his product projects. So awesome. Thank you, Tate. So I'm really excited to have you guys on here. Um, you guys obviously have a lot of experience in the in the role play uh, uh, role play industry, uh, so to speak, um, especially across uh, DMs Guild and your what you say OG <laughs> your, uh, your your experience in the in the in the D and D world. Um, so that means you must have some amazing experiences in that in that amount of time. Not that you're old or anything like that, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's your... okay. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, Terry, can can you tell us uh, what your most memorable D and D moment is? So it wasn't an actual game. It, it was, uh, I got invited to a Christmas party and it was with my old DMs group, DMing group. I, I was the DM for their campaign and some kind of mutual friends had showed up and they were telling the story of the campaign that I had run. And there were so many things that I had forgotten, but had totally stuck with that group of players. And they were just reliving every session and every crazy NPC. And it was just so rewarding for me to think that I had made this lasting memory for my friends. And the best part was that the the mutual friends started playing D&D shortly thereafter. Nice. So it was this really great kind of community moment for me. It was very cool. Very awesome. What about you, Alan? That's, that's a really tough question. Um, there's been so many character exploits triumphs and failures and um but most of all i i really just remember sharing the sheer joy of playing with friends and laughing until we cried so many times uh late into the night um i just it's it's an amazing game and uh i'm i'm so glad i decided to dive back into it and start playing again a couple of years ago it's something i didn't realize how much i had missed until i till i got back into it uh, absolutely 
And we're on the next question. Is there any point that either one of you felt like you uh, failed as either a player or a DM? And what did you learn from it? Terry, do you want to start us off on that one? Yeah, do I only have to pick one or? Uh... Absolutely not. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been quite a few good ones, but uh, I think every DM has tried the the battle of impossible odds where the, the characters are destined to lose the fight. And I would say early when I was DMing, I, I tried to pull this one off unsuccessfully. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the, the group was really unsatisfied with the session. And when I look back at it now, I think it was because I, I took away their ability to be free agents and kind of make choices by predetermining what was going to happen for them. I think now my session's a little more open, so I've learned from it. But, you know, it still stings every once in a while when I think about it late at night. <laughs> I don't know though, because I, I can see how, how I can see both sides of this one. Just because I can see not some players don't realize that not every situation is winnable because of overwhelming odds. <laughs> I do Dude, that a lot. So, hmm? I I have no problem putting my players in a situation they can't win, but I always give them multiple ways to get out. Right, and um, some people forget that retreat is an option. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that early in my kind of DMing life, I just I didn't have those tools like the right. two of you. Sure, you know it. And I wasn't able to give the players the options. Oh, well, yeah. I learned that from not giving them options. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you charged in, you're dead. Sorry. Let's all roll up new characters, start over. Who wants to DM? Oh, nobody. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Alan? Um, probably early on having to, having to fudge die rolls behind the screen because I had grossly miscalculated the, uh, the balance of an encounter, um, and not wanting to kill the party because of, because of my bad design and, and mismanagement of what was going on. Um, the, the players never knew that I had to, that I did that, but I felt terrible having to cheat the game in order to, to fix my mistake. Um, and I'm, it's, you know, it, it's something, unfortunately, sometimes it's just unavoidable, but mm-hmm. um, absolutely. I do my best now to just operate without a screen entirely and, and uh, just let everything ride. So everybody knows <laughs> that things are above board. <laughs> All right, guys, I roll in the public. So if that orc crits you three times, you're shit out of luck. I ain't saving you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely get that. I don't, I, I don't, I can't speak for Ian, but I know that I have overtuned many different uh, encounters. Unfortunately, in my experience and trying to make it challenging because sometimes I felt like I built a, a, an adventure that was based around the correct CR and then they just mow through it. So then I try to co- compensate for that and I way overcompensate and one person falls in one shot. And I'm like, damn it. So <laughs> I definitely, I definitely understand the, the, the trials and tribulations there. So more times when you think you may get extremely challenging encounter and then management becomes a factor. Yeah. So I, I set up all these amazing encounters and this fucker walks in with a goddamn clipboard building inspection or whatever whatever you, what was it some bullshit like that <laughs> surprise inspection surprise inspection stupid ogres i won't use ogres no more you guys only get intelligent <laughs> monsters from now on um <laughs> anyways um so thank you guys so much for sharing your 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 personal story and your your wisdom with us um but now we really want to get to to why we're here can you can can you tell us a little bit about um, how uh, what artifacts of the guild is in a little more detail than what I have, and and really how it how it came to be? Yeah, sure. So it started in February of 2018. So 
This was really after the success of Monsters of the Guild, which I see on your table right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Emmett uh, Emmett Vine decided that he wanted to do the same sort of community thing, but with magical items. So he made a group on Facebook and he promoted it on the DMs Guild Creator Circle, which is a group that we're both part of. And he started really getting some input from the community on people that had existing items or wanted to make new items. And uh, pretty soon it grew to this massive 260 collection. Wow. Decent size. Hmm? Yeah. So, so how many, do you know the exact number of people that were involved in this project? Well, it finished up with 58 final contributors. We, we had a number of people that uh, made submissions that, you know, unfortunately just due to the size, we weren't able to include every possible submission. And but they were I probably think, junk, some, and some of them were probably junk, right? Well, we, we had a lot of very strong submissions, that's ah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so we wanted to make sure that the best ones were part of the finished product. And uh, I'd say, you know, there's probably about 90 people that were really, really involved and had submitted items. Yeah. All right. But generally speaking, though, can you walk us through the uh, process of the development itself as time went along? So it started with an open submission for creators. So Emmett had created essentially a shared Google Drive where there was a template. So he asked that everyone would put their items in using the template and make subfolders, add any art that they might have. Uh, and then we had kind of like a tracking sheet on Google Sheets where we would keep the, the item, the rarity, anywhere that had been included before, like an adventure or something like that. And then Emmett created, he's, essentially he wanted to have a good variety of rarities. So we didn't want to have tons of legendary items and no common items. And right. the idea yeah. was that we wanted the book to be relevant for everyone, whether you had a tier one campaign or an epic 20th level campaign, we wanted to have something in the book that would be great for your group. That's fantastic. Um, I have to ask, you mentioned uh, um, adding art submissions that they already had. Um did you guys have to, did you do a lot of scouring for like stock art for stuff that happened to match some of the items or did they already all have items or did you have to commission new art for those? Oh, Alan, I see you smiling there. What's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Yes. <laughs> all of the above. Um, uh, don't be modest though. You did a ton of work with the art. Like it was truly incredible what you accomplished. Well, we, we did have, there was quite a few, um, of the, the submissions, especially um, some of the stuff that Michael Watt um, had had put in, he had, um, and I'm not sure which, if he had, it was from an adventure, I think, or several adventures maybe um, that he had uh, these items from, but he had had some really incredible art uh, commissioned already. And so um, those items came with some amazing art. And then other people also had art. Some of it was, um, you know, stock art that uh, that's available on uh, either on the guild or or drive through or other things like that. Um, and then a lot of the submissions had had nothing, um, just because people didn't have the resources to, um, uh, you know, to to put that out there or, or get that developed from but for themselves. But um, so yeah, I spent uh, in putting the book together once it was all rounded up we i spent a lot of time scouring different uh different sites for for things and um kind of creating uh kit bashing <laughs> stuff from <laughs> uh, from one one piece of art or another or that type of thing and just basically creating uh 
creating individual pieces based on the descriptions that the that the uh, contributors had had offered for what they thought the thing should look like. So, mm-hmm. so you guys talked about having all the the submissions that you guys had to to cut. Um, unfortunately, how how did you really? determine what was going to make it and what didn't during this pro- development process? Honestly, there was a lot of tough decisions. So we, we tried to look at what people would use in a game because there were some items that were maybe interesting to have in a campaign, but they wouldn't get a lot of player use. So I'll call them like DM items or, or one-time use items. Uh, the other thing too is there were some similarities between some of the items and there were just some writers that had maybe a, a clearer vision of what they wanted to do with the, the item and or they had more lore around it to give some more flavor. That was, I would say, one of the criteria that I used. So was this like a, a community discussion or was this like the, the decision of Terry? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't my call. So we had uh, I mean, Emmett was leading the team for the vast majority of the project. And he had assembled some editors, so Alan and myself, and we also had TK Johnson and Justin Johnston. And we had a kind of a group discussion where we assessed items on how we felt they would fit. And, you know, we had some back and forth to make sure that we had a good blend. Oh, fantastic. That actually is a good segue into the crew that you guys worked with. Can you you tell us a little bit more uh, about some of those people and, and what kind of jobs and tasks needed to be compartmentalized? Well, definitely Emmett as project lead was really important because he set out like a very clear vision of what he wanted to do at the start of the project. So that was good, keeping everyone organized and pointed in the right direction. And then uh, the editors, you know, including ourselves that I mentioned were were so pivotal because we had to make sure that there was like a consistent voice between all of the items. You know, some might have more of a humorous tone, but wanted to make sure that they sounded like they were from the Dungeon Master's Guide. That was really important. Mm-hmm. That and I then, I mean, all the work, Alan, that you did with the the layout and everything like that was just incredible. It turned out so beautifully. Well, I had a good foundation on that because that was one thing Emmett, Emmett started. He he had uh, a lot of that kind of laid out initially, at least the the bones of it. Um, and so, yeah, he he did a terrific job in in making it look pretty as well. Mm. Very cool. Um. So when you say layout, uh, are you guys using like InDesign or GM Binder or Word or some other? Because I know there's a, there's a lot of different tools people use when they're doing their layout for their projects on DMs Guild. What is the tool that you guys uh, use to develop this? Yeah, it was all InDesign, um, mm-hmm. Photoshop, and Illustrator. Pretty much is what I what I use uh, all the time, and that's. Um, I've done graphic design and things like that for many, many years. And so that's kind of what I'm used to at this point. So, yeah. Um, I see that this, uh, uh, you mentioned that, uh, Terry kind of had to, to fill Emmett's shoes. Um, can you talk a little bit on that or is that, uh, an off limits topic? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Terry. Well, Emmett got, I would call it the dream job. So he yeah. now works for cubicle seven in, Ireland, where he lives. Uh, They had moved from London to Ireland, I guess, due to Brexit or whatever. So he's done a ton of work on the Age of Sigmar RPG, and it just, you know, pulled him away from this project. So he looked for some others that could help out. And 
I would say I, I stepped in as sort of a, a coordinator role, and then Alan really took the lead on you know doing the layout and a lot of the minute editing to get it ready for for press. So that's awesome. I I love hearing the journey that you guys go through to to make these projects come to life, and it's just fantastic. Ian, uh, do you have another? Do you have any questions for him? Oh, we have a list. <laughs> I was trying to feed that in more naturally, but thanks for that. <laughs> Damn it. I was being sarcastic. But... I know. Between the two of you, what would you say your favorite part of creating artifacts was? Is? Yeah, is is probably the right word. It's yep. still kind of under active development for the print. Uh, right. Do you want to go first, Alan? Uh, sure. Yeah. The Really, for me, it was just, it was just looking at the just the tremendous creativity that the guild has to offer. Um, there was such a wide variety of, uh, of items and, and uh, ideas and styles and everything else that, that we got in there. I think, I don't, I think the, the final number, it was well over 300 um, that we had to, you know, to be looking at initially. Um, and, you know, frankly, there were some there were some really interesting items that that we didn't put in just you know because we just didn't have room and or time anymore. Um, kind of needed to get get things moving and and get it out the door. But um, it's uh, it's a tremendous community. It really is very supportive of each other, and everybody's um, happy when other people do well. That's the best thing, really. Oh yeah. Yeah, if I could echo that community comment, that was really the main reason that I wanted to make sure that this project came to life was because we have such a great community. I wanted to make sure that everyone could see that big collaborations are possible. They, they are a ton of work, but they can be done and they can be done well. And I think this is a good showing on that front there. Absolutely. I remember my shock and awe when the monsters of the guild came out and now this one just the same the quality of work that you guys have put in is just i almost want to say absurd because it's it in my opinion it's it, i've i've been playing i play i've been playing dnd a long time and i think that the content and development you guys have into this rivals even some of the content i've seen come out of wizards so um that is kudos to you guys Thank for you. the amount of amount of work and effort it shows in the quality of the content so um I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Wizards, um, if you're listening, I will take that check direct uh, deposit. Now. <laughs> uh, thank you um, for that. That bribe. Oh, I don't think we're supposed to talk about bribes. Hmm. Um, Justin, edit the no, incentive. Incentive. Yes, I like that better. <laughs> uh, anyways, <laughs> I kid. I kid. Um, so, uh, with a project this 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 large in. Um, of the scale and magnitude and quality, what kind of challenges did you guys run into during its development? For me in the editing process, it was, it was definitely getting that consistent voice. Everyone has, you know, their own group, their own flavor that they're used to playing in. So trying to make that come to life in the items was tough at times because I didn't want to take away someone's creative voice by editing their words down. Like I wanted to keep the spirit of what they intended together so sometimes we had to work really closely with the creator to make sure that, is this how you wanted the item to be? And make sure that we were true to their vision as well. That that was a big challenge for sure. I can understand that because I remember for one of our fellow collaborators, uh, I think it was John Jenstone, where mm -hmm. he was like homebrewing some magic items. 
enter a few times. I'm like, so does it work this way, this way, this way, or this way? He's like, I didn't think of half of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and even now, I'd say along those lines, that's part of what we're seeing because we've gotten a, a lot of great feedback on some of the items. And there are some that could be a little clearer. And that's part of what we're going through right now. We're doing a little bit of editing to make sure it's ready for print. Sure. Very cool. Alan, do you have any comments on that? Um, kind of just what I mentioned before. I mean, there was just there was so many submissions, and we went through when we were when we were doing the the editing process. We kind of uh, Emmett uh, kind of put all of the all the items into into pairs of editors to start with, and so two people looked at every single item um, that went through, and we kind of had a rating system, uh, and then once once we had each rated all of our our groups of items then we then we went back and forth and and talked about um you know what what we thought about this this thing or that thing in particular the aspects of each item and uh it was you know it was it was a long daunting process but um well worth it by the time we got done so very cool um so we we can't we can't you know skip out on this and finish up with this without first talking about some of the items. You guys have looked through every single one of these. I'd love to tell you that I've read the whole book, but I've only made it through like 80 of those damn things because there's so much. Um, so I will, I would love to ask you guys, what is your favorite items from this supplement from artifacts of the guild? I mean, the one that I like the most is from Oliver Clegg. It's uh, Raskin's splenectomy knife. And it's it's literally two sentences, but it made me laugh so hard the first time I read it that I, like I immediately sent a message. It was so funny. It, it uh, it's the sort of thing that would fit in in my game where it's just a little bit kooky, and it just is different. You know, you don't see that kind of humor in the DMG, and having a little bit of that in this book, I think, was going to be really important. So that was my that was top top one for sure. Got it. It sounds awesome. What about you, uh, Alan? Um, well, I kind of tend toward the oddball stuff as well, just because it's different, I guess. But there, uh, Jeff Stevens had one actually called the Hello World Shield, um, which is a cursed shield that um, the first time you you attack uh, that day, you know something it casts fairy fire centered on you around everything so you know most likely it's gonna it's gonna hit you and it's gonna hit your party as well as the the bad guy that you're fighting that type of thing um and it's you know that that sort of thing is super entertaining at least for the dm so <laughs> <laughs> um there's one that really jumped out at me that you uh you you kind of posted here can you tell me about the divine shard terry yeah, so this is essentially a, a piece of a god after it's been killed, and it kind of falls down to the plane. And when someone picks it up, they can essentially begin to ascend to godhood, which that one really struck a chord with me because I had run a campaign long, long ago that had some of those kind of elements in it. Mm -hmm. And I really just like the idea of a, of a character transforming, if you've got the right group, like you you know, to make sure that yeah. they're ready for that kind of character development. But it's it's the sort of thing that could just send such like an epic campaign, you know, like you could go from level one to level 20 and have kind of that continuity. It just, yeah, I love that item. I thought it was great. That, that one was by Quintessential Gaming, actually. That kind of reminds me about how in uh, fourth edition, 
you could go up to level 30, and the... There's a reason why level 21 through uh, 30 is called Epic Tier. <laughs> Such as some of the abilities you get. God level. Yeah. Oh, that moon. It's so bright tonight. I just blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it yeah. felt sometimes. I actually remember like the uh, path I took was called the Undying Warrior. And it's like a level 3 capstone ability was you can't die. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Like, it would be terrible if you called it the Undying Warrior and you could die. <laughs> it was something like uh, we, we, the first time you die, you immediately come back to life. You die again, you come back to life on your next turn, die again, you come back to life at the end of the next round, you die again, you come back to life during, at the end of the encounter. It gets progressively longer. <laughs> right. At least you always come back, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that resets it the next day, but yeah. yeah. The last, the last um, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about, uh, I think, Alan, you mentioned uh, Mummer's Lantern. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and before we close out here? Yeah, that one's from uh, Molly Meadows, and it's a—I mean, it's a pretty simple item, um, effect-wise. Um, but I really enjoyed the flavor text, uh, saying that it was originally made for a troupe of actors. Um, it uh, the item, I think, it, it casts some sort of uh, uh, light or something like that, where the the they pointed it toward the audience, and so that the actors could then run off stage without them people seeing, and then uh, they. That type of thing, but then the adventurers picked it up and and found other uses for it. So, um, I to me, I I just I I like that little um, kind of a real world uh, aspect to it, to where it started out as a, as something that was just practical um, for someone, and then adventurers grabbed it and said, "Oh, hey, we can use this to go do these things." And, right. Um. Like I said, I, I went through a lot of these items, and I think that they're all just amazing. They're well-written. I can tell that you went through the, a lot of work to make sure that the the verbiage was as close to consistent as you could get, which I know, uh, at least in my experiences, when I'm going through a lot of content, I find, even in my own material, where something doesn't match the traditional Watsy um, format, and I can tell that you guys must have put a lot of work in trying to make sure all that is, is set up, so... Uh, Kudos to you on that. And I can imagine that there was quite a bit of challenge at times, too, trying to change the the wording and the verbiage to have it match your format, but still try to keep it in line with what the creator intended. So. Right. Definitely, um, yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any other uh, points you'd like to touch on this amazing product? I, I I cannot say enough how beautiful the art is, how detailed it is. I even love the the cover page with the the treasure chest. I think that's fantastic. Um, it really <laughs> captures the essence of this 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 content. Um, two things. So you know, the cover. It's funny you should mention that. That was kind of a group decision. So we tried to make sure that everyone was kind of involved in the process to be happy with it from start to finish that uh -huh. you know, we're transparent, let everybody know what's going on and how. And the other thing is that it, it wasn't, you know, we had a lot of big names on the DMs guild that were involved in the project, but it wasn't like a presupposition. It wasn't just like, you have to have so many things or you're not in the club. It was like, Hey everyone, do you want to be a part of this? And it was like an open call and we got so many, new rising stars that wanted to be a part of the project and a lot of them got included it was that was really really valuable for me you yeah, know i think there's even some people that this is their only credit at this point on the guild they have they're still working on their own their own projects and things like that so sure 
Yeah, and I, I honestly, I'm, I'm so glad to see you guys um, mention that you, you, you included some of these people who aren't as well known because I know personally, I was uh, very happy to be part of the Monsters of the Guild, and if it wasn't for that, I probably would have never made my Unearthed Tips and Tricks book or any of the additional content that I've released since then. Um, and it all started with the excitement I got from putting my name in that, you know, in, in that project, and I didn't even do very much. I think there's only like two monsters in there, but it gave me the the surge of oomph that I needed to be like, oh my god, that's so exciting. I'm ready to go do another one. So, um, and I hope that that's how those people who who aren't as big named that got their um, name into this book feel, and I hope it will compel them to want to do bigger, better things. I don't want to say better. I, how do you do bigger? More, <laughs> more of their own and more being more involved in the community. I think that's why I think that's just such an amazing thing you guys did. Yeah. So. And anyone that, you know, there's such a great resource on Facebook. It's the Dungeon Master Guild's Creator Circle. And it's just a, an open forum where people can share what they're working on and get feedback and meet people, like have other collaborations. Uh, fantastic resource for anyone that wants to write on the guild. Yeah, absolutely. That's good to know. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so before we close out the main topic, um, are there any you know secret projects or anything that you can give Crit Nation uh, a, a taste of of that you guys are working on? <laughs> Obviously, without giving away what you can't talk about, but we'd love to hear about it. Well, yeah. I'm working on fulfilling my first Kickstarter. So Professor Humbert Drumsley Five E Adventure Codex. So we did the funding in February, and we're set to fulfill in September. Nice. Uh, it was, uh, you know, actually working on the artifacts project was a good experience for me because it kind of prepped me for a larger scale project like this. And my writing partner, John Scott, and I were working on uh, a follow up uh, kind of with a, a different character. So that's kind of on the horizon, hopefully for later this year. Very cool. Alan? How about you? Um, I well, I've got a few things in the works, but the thing I'm most excited about right now is a I'm doing a compendium for the Mornland in Eberron, um, kind of a Volo's Guide style um, book where we'll have uh, probably well over 20 new monsters, um, as well as templates and tables for creating your own um, kind of magic warped. Uh, stuff and the living spells and all of that sort of thing um in there and uh it's uh it's actually turned into more of a collaborative project than i had anticipated to start with too but um it's uh, i'm again i'm really excited about that and and that i'm hoping to have that out here within the next month or two let let let's backtrack magic warped you have to tell me more about that can you talk about that what, well, what I don't that? know how familiar you are with Eberron, but the the morning is basically a a country that was subjected to a magical nuke. Um, is the easiest way to describe it. Is that the spell plague thing? Uh, sort of. Okay. Uh, it, 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 I suppose it's kind of along those lines. But in in Eberron, there was a um, it's it's the the incident that that ended the the last war, which is this right. hundred year long war that's kind of before the setting. Uh, the timeline for the setting starts for the most part. So basically it's like a magical version of radiation then causing a gay and Mad Max kind of setting. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. And yeah. it's a, it basically this, this one country, which was kind of the, the center of a lot of magical creations and things like that um, basically had a cataclysmic event happen. Nobody knows how or why it happened, 
but it's left this this one country that's kind of in the middle of of uh, Corvair, which is the main continent. Um, it's left it in as just a wasteland, but there are all sorts of um, creatures and, and stuff that have survived, but they've become warped and mutated um, because of this um, stuff that's going on. We're so. playing in the wrong setting, man. <laughs> I was about to say, given my short but glorious experience in the uh, Gamma World setting, this sounds pretty yes. awesome. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Now I have to go buy the Eberron uh, Wayfinders or Eberron because I hadn't bought yeah. it yet. And I was just like, you know, that eh, we'll see. And you just totally turned me on to that, so thank you for costing me money. I appreciate it. I still left at the <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> I still left at the time actually when like we played Gamma World. That thing is so potentially lethal that we actually had one player go through. I'm not kidding, four characters in one night. <laughs> I had tire armor and beat people with a mailbox. It was glorious. My guy had like dubbed the, the gnome stick, which is basically a garden gnome duct taped to a core staff. <laughs> all righty well i think that'll do it for our main topic today well before we move on to our unearth tips and tricks segment we have another gift to give away compliments of lore smith each episode we will draw another lucky subscriber's name and they will win the best-selling adventure the claws of madness compliments of lore smith Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Terry, who's our winner today? Our winner is Paul Armsford. I wish I could stand up and river dance right now. Makes me want to do that. I'm glad you can't. Oh, God damn it. You're no fun. <laughs> Congratulations to Paul.Armsford. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Loresmith a review. If you guys don't know, one of the best things you can do for a content creator aside from purchasing their product, is leaving a review. Um, when you find a, a, a product that you really like, sh- let the world know that you like it so that they, it encourages others to support our, these uh, artists and creators, please. The mental image that came to mind when I read this guy's name was Paul Bayan, but I had F-150s for arms. Oh, what the fuck, dude? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and now, what you've all been waiting for. Our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. You have no idea how excited I am that everything's working. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds stupid, but something always goes wrong. (laughs) We're not done yet, though, I guess. Oh, I am really excited to talk about our character concept today, the Conspiracy Theorists. Um, This has been on the docket for a long time. For some reason, I haven't got around to it. This character can easily be persuaded to believe any conspiracy, no matter how outlandish. This character spends a lot of time gossiping and trying to gather any evidence, no matter how small, to support their belief. Who wants to know? (laughs) A few examples. Regional governments are all controlled by Mind Flayer collectives. If any ruler ever escapes their control, they are replaced by a doppelganger imposter. Ian, do you have another one? 
orcs were originally made when uh, humans and dwarves tried to have children. <laughs> oh, that does not work at all, though, in the dark sun setting. <laughs> the gods are not actually in conflict with each other; they fake being in conflict to keep mortals busy and prevent the mortals from eventually overthrowing them. And then the last one we have written down here is rage is actually a form of demonic possession, and all barbarians are slowly be- becoming more corrupted and turning evil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, as our guest, what do you guys think about this? Anything come to mind? Anything of interest for the character? Con- that sounds like every character that's played in my games ever. <laughs> don't believe anything. <laughs> what well, we live in the semi-magical world? It does not sound too weird because it could happen. That's true. Or uh, actually, this is actually quite light compared to some of the stuff I heard playing Shadowrun, <laughs> cyberpunk fantasy. Yeah. So are you saying that the Mind Flare thing isn't true? I never Uh-oh. said that. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny that. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally like this concept because it gives me a roleplay outlet for my bard that's not just about humping everything. <laughs> I think it would be really interesting to have a bard, instead of going in and singing and, and dancing or whatever, they go in and they try to spread all the conspiracies that they know, and they constantly try to leverage the little bit of evidence that they have. I think that would be so much fun and so distracting. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think that would be fantastic. With the right group and the right setting this would be hilarious <laughs> i'm definitely thinking about the question from the justice league animated series what, what's the question he, that he, he's a superhero his name's the question he's a d- detective he's also a conspiracy theorist his name is the question yep this is why dc is behind marvel people okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, as a, as a, as DMs, how, if a player brought this concept to you, what would you do to, to encourage it and, and, and le- help it blossom? I would have so many rumors in every bar that they go into. I would feed that so hard. It would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine just, uh, torment this player that another player might feed them hallucinogens. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help. No. And that makes it work. I mean, I mean, imagine how much worse this is because there's illusionary magic. There's mind manipulation magic. You could be a, a, a conspiracy theorist who just constantly be, has been being manipulated by somebody else. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be a you'd great... To, as a DM, you'd have to give them a tinfoil hat as a, as a magic <laughs> item. Yes, <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> I love that it. Keeps, that keeps their uh, other people's thoughts out of their head. Things like that. Oh, yeah. man. It turns out the magic, the, the tinfoil hat is given to him by like the secret villain and allows him to literally track everything, but he believes it's sure. <laughs> it prevents yeah, exactly. anybody yeah. from messing with him. <laughs> I can only imagine the session where the conspiracy turns out to be real and the character spends the whole time going, I told you, I told all of you, <laughs> running through the streets. I mean, yeah, it just writes itself. Really. If you've got a million <laughs> it, it conspiracies, one's got to be true, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think that'll do it for our character concept today, the conspiracy theorist. Our monster variant of the day is the war chanter. That sounds familiar. Ooh, gotcha. it, it's mm. almost like I built a class and was like, man, that'd make an awesome monster. Let's do it. 
<laughs> <laughs> so the War Chanter origin, you're going to use the stat block of the Orog, um, but you're going to give it two new features. Commanding Chant. The War Chanter can forego one of its attacks and shout in a rhythmic chant to inspire one of its companions to strike. Ooga chaka, ooga, ooga, ooga <laughs> When the War Chanter does so, it can choose a friendly creature who can see or hear it. That creature can immediately use its reaction to make one weapon attack. I can't stop that feeling. <laughs> Are you done? Yes. Okay. Maybe. And then, of course, it also has the battlefield chant. The war chanter chooses up to three creatures it can see within 30 feet of it. Until the end of its next turn, each target can add a d4 to its attack and saving throw. Basically, bless, I guess. Go and conquer without giving, this. <laughs> without giving it spellcasting. So, um, this is meant to be... Um, if, if you don't know, the Orog actually has multi- multi-attack, but you forgo one of its attacks to pass that to another creature. Um, and I think that works really well if you're running like a, a scout or something that has like a... Um, sneak attack or something along those lines. Um, what do you guys think about this this monster? I really like the battlefield chant. I think that gives a dynamic element to you know. Sometimes orc fights can be a little bland at times, mm-hmm. and having one monster that buffs the other monsters like that, I think, would surprise a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Especially since it, bo- it it applies it to their saving throws, making them a little more resistant to spells as well. Yeah, we did actually on our show covered a supplement that does help with stuff like this, especially with orcs. They gave quite a few options. Right, right. Was that the monster talents you're talking about? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like, it kind of sounds like the, what is it, the Hobgoblin Warlord or Chieftain, I think. I don't remember that that, that on steroids that <laughs> they can uh, direct, you know, other other uh, Hobgoblins around and say, hey, go go attack here, go attack there, and get extra attacks and stuff like that. Yeah, this was definitely meant to be kind of um, a way to incorporate a, a, some sort of e- a leader role to one of the the enemies the the players are fighting because you always get the okay if you're fighting the the orcs you got you know three little orcs and one big orc but really they all just attack in most cases um this one makes it more of a a a threat because if you don't take it out first there's no telling how many extra attacks the party is going to have to deal with yep um because of that extra d4 a d4 to your role is nothing to, to 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 laugh at and because of that it makes it a big threat and the party has to deal with it, which I think is cool, though, because um, they have to be able to um, speak. Uh, a silence would actually be a good uh, technique to weaken this character a little bit. I don't think my players are smart enough to do stuff like that, except for maybe <laughs> Ian. <laughs> but Go imitate Now that you told him, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. Go imitate Cyberman Garfunkel. <laughs> but I, I, I really like monsters like this that can really fill that 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 minor boss or even big boss um, void and gives a little bit that that commanding presence. You know, by giving the commander chant, he can actually stay off at a distance, do the battlefield chant, and actually cause his his allies to attack while he's safe in another some sort of reinforcement. And I really like stuff like that. Although I still stand by the fact that no orc shall be as awesome as Dennis. Oh, fuck Dennis. Well, uh, actually, it's all the way around. Any other uh, points on this? Anything you would do to make it more interesting? Or I think it's pretty interesting as is, because like you were saying, most people just picture orcs as uh, just brutes that just hit you, and this adds more variety to that. Yeah. Well, technically, he's now just telling other people to hit you. <laughs> So, Stop doing himself. Stop himself. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that'll do it for our monster variant. 
our encounter of the podcast is called Visions of the Past. Now, I mentioned I was um, reading Way of the Kings, and there's a gentleman that experiences these these visions. Um, and the same thing. Have you guys seen iRobot by chance? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, in iRobot, this um, this hollow vid is left over as a puzzle. And it's not until the player, the, the the main character asks the right question does he get a right answer. And I think having, um, I've always wanted to do the, the vision, you know, vision things, especially for people who are tied really close either to their deity or if they're a warlock and their patron, where these little, sn- like, slight visions can trickle through to the point where it's almost like it's driving the person insane. Um, maybe even uh, forcing them to roll on the madness table um, and feeding them a little bit about what could happen, not necessarily what will happen. But it comes down to here's what I think is going to here. Here's a vision that you see. I think in the, the iRobot example, you have um, him saying you have to ask the right question and try to understand what it is they're seeing. I would love to see um, a good encounter based around um, almost like Clue. And the visions get progressively stronger and start to alter. Maybe this could fit really good with the the, the conspiracy theorists, I guess, um, <laughs> <laughs> where nobody believes him. But um, I would like to see that kind of trickle down of these little uh, either past events that lead to a reoccurring event. And like for one of the books I'm reading, it it they're getting trickles of this this um, entire nightmare that happened year, hundreds and thousands of years ago and it's starting to happen again, but nobody believes this person. Like, no matter what he says, they just think he's going crazy. And I think that would be a really cool thing to subtly um, dot through a, a player, though I do think if you do this, talk to the player about it. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? I could see myself using this idea as kind of like a, a shared group experience. Mm-hmm. So I'd run probably like a whole session in like dreamscape is maybe not the right word, mm-hmm. but uh, let the players know that there's kind of different rules involved and then they can be a little looser in what they would normally do. So they have a little more freedom uh, and then being able to tie it back to earlier plot points would be, uh, would be spectacular. I think. What about you, Alan? I kind of, I'm just thinking about this uh, years ago. I ran, I kind of ran a, um, a campaign where the players picked up early on, they picked up an item that had a, um, an a ancient wizard basically was kind of trapped inside that was able to give them information occasionally about kind of past events and how it related to what was going on in the present. Um, and eventually they were able to, to release his soul out of this um out of this thing and and bring him back as a physical being and um toward the end of the campaign he was kind of an npc that that went along with the party and and helped them out um uh, for this you know building up to this big cataclysmic ep- epic event um at the end so yeah it was a lot of fun oh kind of like in the movie yeah dragon slayer mm-hmm. kind of yeah yeah mm-hmm. is that the one you keep telling me i need to watch but have it yes okay <laughs> Well, <laughs> someday it's on the list. It's on the list. Um, uh, kind of touching on okay. what Terry said. Um, what I think would be really cool is if you. This would be a great. Um, normally, when we hear about backstory and lore, it's something that it's this far off thing that happened, and we're not really the players aren't directly attached to it. If you had a moment, especially either as a whole group, or maybe you have a group where only half the group shows up, and you could go back to one of those 
points where you think you're, is, is super important and give your characters different character sheets and say, here, you're now in this war that we've been talking about that's in this far off distance that really you kind of know what's going on, but now you get to live it. And it could be a great um, drop in for even a one shot when people don't show up or if you decide to, to uh, make it super important to the story, maybe, uh, as Terry said, having everyone run this past event and seeing as unfolds. And I think... That would be um, probably would that would that be a little that probably be a little more railroady than normal because the events already have to unfold a certain way. But um, I think okay. it would be along, really cool. Yeah, along those lines, I played in a campaign where we started off like that. So we had a, a dungeon that we were in, and the, we knew in advance that the session would end when one of the characters died. So we played through it and tried to extend it, and then all the things that we did in the dungeon informed the kind of start of the campaign so it was like a pre-campaign and it was really cool because sometimes we'd see things and be like that was from the (laughs) (laughs) pre-campaign um and there's a lot that comes with that especially if the 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 characters are involved in it i know that we've talked about cutscenes or um or uh oh shit what's the word for Damn it! I can't think of what it's called. Illusion? No, I can't. I know what an illusion is. It's some other word that I forget all the illusion, time. Illusion, not illusion. Whatever. Um, an illusion. I, God damn it, dude! Shut up. <laughs> um. So, uh, what I think this is really cool, and I think what I have talked about in like past episodes is that this is a really good way to show the players the villains too. Like, if you want them to oh, see yeah. this past event, make them the guards and have to report out negative news to the villain and watch him decapitate the players or dangle them over the side of a building and just drop them, you know, um, and make the players really develop a close connection with the villain before they ever meet the villain. I think that that would be a very interesting um way to introduce a villain that everyone knows is bad but the players only hear it from other people and then you let them play out that scenario where they got to deliver that crappy news and oh i'm sorry you're being tortured (laughs) but uh those are just my thoughts (laughs) all right that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast visions of the past um, our magic item to, uh, today comes from Artifacts of the Guild. Now, I told you I read a lot. I didn't read all of them, but I read a lot out of this, and I found one I loved. <laughs> it sounded familiar, actually. It's, it's very familiar. It's called the Noisy Cricket, <laughs> and this is certainly a nod to Men in Black. Definitely. Um, with, with the Noisy Cricket, which is like a little tiny gun, right? So this is a very rare wand that requires attunement. This tiny wand is the size of a toothpick. But a darker in color. <laughs> the wand has uh, several charges um, and recharges at dawn. Um, when activated, you fire a twenty foot, twenty five foot cone. Um, but you have to make a save, or the damn thing has recoil sends you flying backwards. <laughs> and I just think that's hilarious because, first of all, I love Men in Black, and I love a, an item like this that's got some oomph to it so much so that it inherently comes with some risk to the player and just the comedic value that comes with holding out a wand with two fingers <laughs> and pointing it at a, 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 a group of enemies and then they're like what the hell is that you gotta beat me up with a stick uh Boom. yeah you know <laughs> i love this item what do you guys think i can't remember who wrote this one alan do you recall I, I do actually that's mine <laughs> <laughs> I did. Oh. Uh, I did. A, I have an adventure on the guild um, that's a. It's an homage and and a, a, a kind of a parody of Men in Black called Elves in Pink, and um, it's a. Um, I'm getting it's that. It's a. Right? 
it's kind of a higher level adventure. Uh, uh, I think 10, what did I do? Uh, I don't know, the early teens uh, adventure, I think 11 through 14. And um, yeah, that's, that's one of the items that's in there. Oh my God, the cover to this is awesome. This is why I was in art. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This looks hilarious. Nice. Uh yeah, so so kudos to you. I absolutely fell in love with it. I'll be honest, I did not know you were the one that made it when I had you come on the show. That's pure coincidence. <laughs> um but kudos to you. I love this. Now I want to pick up this product to see what other goofball items you have that are that are like that. So uh, I well, think this is those those glasses that they're wearing, those are also in artifacts, so Ooh, which uh, which item? Uh, it's the uh, spectacles of mind shuddering. So, do you know these people, or is it just like a stock art and you edited it? There, it's yeah, it's a combination of a bunch of stock art. Oh, um, it, it's fantastic. I, again, I I kind of specialize in in kit bashing. I take a lot of different <laughs> pieces from here here there and everywhere mm. and and put them together. So that's, I love the pink cloak. <laughs> that's totally how I made my uh, posters for Game Club back in college. <laughs> Just a bunch of clip art put together. For Star Dark. I would. Uh, I was taking a lot of Photoshop classes throughout college, and I can't draw to save my life. So I, I would often like uh, buy some stock art online make it like a solid color and start shaving away at it to make some changes. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. Yep. Um, well, that'll do it for our awesome magic item uh, from artifacts of the guild uh, by Alan, the noisy cricket. That's so awesome. Yep. Um, our dungeon master tip comes from Brian N thieves can't symbols. I use real-world hobo symbols as a basis for my campaigns. Thieves can't. My <laughs> rogue player enjoys it very much, and she still gets to decipher them occasionally. This can really bring the thieves can't into play far more than it normally does, as it is a unique language that only the rogue can use. I've used it in many things, but the best way is for warnings, secret meeting areas, and looking for assassin work. <laughs> what do you guys think about this it sounds really cool i i like that because uh, most of the time on on those types of things you kind of just it's all hand wavy you just say oh well we just talk in thieves can't and and that's that's the end of it but you mm -hmm. put a uh put some actual uh, stuff to it that's uh that's really great yeah especially because we do that with a lot with like like i don't know about you but i like draw out or print out symbols for you see the symbol you know, now with thieves mm -hmm. can't, I can do that. I can say, you see this symbol. And if you use the same one enough, you won't even have to tell them what it is. You just show them the symbol and they'll know, oh, that means I'm looking for assassin work or something. You know, I think that that's a, a really cool way to do it. And um, it's already a language that's written that you're not going to accidentally stumble into a player who probably already knows what it is, um, which is fantastic. I think my favorite thieves can't moment was when I was playing an AL game and uh, the, the, the rogue red and these at the fort. Beware of, I forget what the character's name was, but it was an NPC who was basically the uh, head of security in the mm -hmm. fort. He was like, guys, the thief can't says beware of this person. I look, I'm like, is it really all that shocking for somebody who knows these can't to say beware of chief of security? <laughs> <laughs> Just chief. saying, chief of security. Um, <laughs> I think that this is really cool. Terry, do you have any comments? I love it. Uh, it would make a great addition to any dungeon you know just to have the rogue stumble upon a symbol like outside of a door mm -hmm. and because the players they would learn over time right they might not piece it together right at the start 
and then it just adds so much depth to the world. It's one extra thing that you can keep your players coming back for more. I totally could see like a blood smeared uh, hobo symbol that basically says, "Don't look up." <laughs> <laughs> and it's written in blood. They're like, uh, guys, um, we, oh, what the hell? <laughs> and then something drops from the ceiling, like an ooze or something. Um, I love stuff like that because it's a good way to add, um, not only flavor, but little tiny pieces of information that would only be relevant to like the underground uh, crew like here is a drop-off zone for and, and whether you do it in your sh games or not drugs or here's a drop-off zone for slaves or a pickup zone for slaves and it's something that could should be part of the world because in most worlds at least to my understanding slaves exist and and there's a criminal underground so the the player could get used to these sort of things and then start using them as um um, driving story. We always say, oh, what do you want to do? I want to go look for information. Well, if I'm constantly running into thieves can't stuff, I want to, I want to go look for the uh, information drop-off point. Where is that? Have I seen that symbol in the area? Um, <laughs> and I can see them wanting to get more involved with it because now it's given a, a, a life of its own instead of just some, you know, text in a book that once, like Alan said, just kind of usually is hand-wavy. So. <laughs> just made me think of a Game of Thrones line. So it was like being a pirate. I was not a pirate. I was a smuggler. What's the difference? The difference is if you're a famous smuggler, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> and along those lines, too, you know, tying it in earlier to events that are happening without player involvement, you know, this can be a way to show that there's smugglers and slavers and there are things going on in the background that they're not directly involved in. You better be. Yes, uh, I, I agree. And once again, that's another thing that brings the world to life around the players. And... It gives the player a tool to reach out in Thieves' Camp and a constant reminder. If you're you're setting out these little things, I mean, like I, I use a whiteboard. I don't know if you guys use a whiteboard. Most powerful tool in the world. If I just every time I put a symbol up and the player comes in that knows Thieves' Camp, what's that? Just okay. We'll we'll get to that. Just now you've got <laughs> you've got a reminder. Um and and some because that's something I see that happens a lot with with rogues is. Thieves can't, and is it the, what is it, the druid one? Druidic. Dru druidic? Oh, now I feel like an idiot. Um, both of those are <laughs> things that just don't get enough attention, and I could see you using this for either one of those, and if you wanted to really engage that aspect, so. Although I feel like hobos, uh, symbols might be a little more appropriate for <laughs> druidic. Maybe. <laughs> they are, they do generally hang out by themselves, don't they? Yeah. Um, all right, uh, any other points on this? Also, if you Google hobo symbols, you can get an entire chart of them. So It's true. I'd love to include it in my game tomorrow. It's such a great idea. <laughs> Let us know how it goes. Um, try, yeah. All right. Uh, that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Uh, Thieves can't symbols from Brian N. So our player <laughs> tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. Um, our player tip today is Might and Magic, Grapple and Bonfire. Now, we just c covered... Um, uh, Wombo's combos <laughs> uh, last week, and so after that, I started thinking about all the different things that we could talk about in, in regards to that. That I, I think are just powerful techniques that we can add as a group. You know, often people consider gra grapple um, is considered a, a weaker in Five E than it was in all previous editions, mostly because it doesn't come with its own rule book. It all fits in like two paragraphs now. But it's way more simple <laughs> than what it used to be. Now, you might just think, well, just holding an enemy is not nearly as deadly as a sword, so it often gets overshadowed in most 
most situations, unless you're me. I love grapple. It's my it's my jams. But um, people hated grapple in three point five. <laughs> I'm going to grab a, okay, let's pick out the chart. <laughs> Next half hour later. Are you sure that's right? Um, anyway, um, if you don't know, grapple, all it really does is lo- stops a creature from moving. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but with a wizard with bonfire cantrip, you create like a five-foot square of burning fire. And if the enemy can't get out of it, guess what happens? They continually burn. Um, making this a great combination for like a fighter or a barbarian that has a high strength that can hold the enemy in place as the the um, wizard or sorcerer continues to nuke them every single round. Or Wallfire, or Moonbeam, or any other long listed area of spells. I was, I was getting to that. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's not specifically just Bonfire, of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sphere of Fire, a bunch of other different uh, features. But what makes Bonfire so interesting is whenever they en- I guess it's pretty f- true for all of them, when an enemy enters the, the field, they take damage. So, uh, for the first time of that round. So a Barbarian literally can increase the damage of this by just dragging them out and then sticking them back in. Yep. Um, on their turn, which I think is fantastic. It also frees the um the wizard or sorcerer or whatever up to cast another uh either another cantrip like firebolt, significantly increasing the damage they do per round, which is fantastic. What do you guys think about this? That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, I-, I was actually thinking. I don't know if my players would be smart enough to try this kind of tactic. <laughs> they they have a tendency to. To just run at stuff. Yes. So uh, it, this is very interesting. I just, uh, you know, I think it's a problem that I would never have to overcome just because <laughs> my group is just maybe not as clever. And group, if you're listening, you know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had my group uh, a few sessions ago. They had uh, they had some undead running towards them, and the sorcerer sorcerer cast sickening radiance around all the undead which basically it it has a a a slowing uh kind of grappling component almost to it as well and then um the other characters cast um um i'm trying to remember what it was now it was some another another sort of sustained aoe but basically they they ended up corralling uh, a bunch of these undead you know in this one spot and just continually nuking them and they they had to keep making a save trying to get out of it and they you know it never did they just sat there and, and nuked them and from a distance and cackled about it the entire time so <laughs> <they're> very clever <laughs> um, along those same lines for sure yeah and, and this is great too because um to grapple requires only a free hand so you really could grapple two enemies and drag them as the barbarian drag them through this bonfire every turn um, to increase the amount of damage it does. Because now you can have a single space effect affect two people, which makes it doubly uh, imp- powerful. Because basically now your your non-moving uh, area of damage is now constantly hitting targets. And if the whole group did, you can try to create like an assembly line and just dragging the enemies through this <laughs> to, to make this little tiny cantrip, which requires no spell slots, uh, very effective. Even if you think about just a boss, if the player casts this cantrip at the beginning of the fight and the barbarian can hold the boss there for the entirety of the battle without them breaking it, if you don't know when a barbarian rages, they have advantage on those checks. So it is very difficult to break. Mm-hmm. You can significantly get a lot. You can get a lot of oomph out of this attack. And it's a cantrip. So. Okay, okay when you said boss, I'm going to think of our Halloween game. Which one was that? You got to be more specific. 
We've had a lot of Halloween games. The second doll one. Oh yeah, dude. So yeah. <laughs> we did the haunt too, and this we they were fighting this stupid uh, Chucky doll. Uh, yeah, the Chucky doll thing, and it was crawling up his arm at one time. And so they're fighting a slime too. So this bash was like, oh, I can't get off me. I'm gonna jump in the slime. Started fucking melting my doll. I was so pissed, bastard. Her, her strength goes terrible. She couldn't get out. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> Uh, is do you guys have any other comments on this particular combination or any other combinations that are similar? No, I don't. Uh, this don't is think so. this is a good one. Awesome. Well, that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. Might and magic grapple and bonfire. This is a great combination, and it can do so much damage throughout a big bo- a big boss battle. So definitely consider giving it a shot. Um, and I don't, don't out count that if your barbarian has a weapon, he can grapple and stab stuff still. So make sure you do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well that'll do it for our show today, man. I've really enjoyed having you guys on today. You guys are absolutely awesome. Um, before we close out though, we have one more gift to give away compliments of Jeff Stevens. A small village, empty of villages, except for one boy found. Sitting and weeping next to a jester's pageant wagon, the boy explains that the villagers, including his family, followed a jester into the wagon and never came out. What madness could the adventurers face? Can they save the villagers, or will they go mad trying? <laughs> Can you survive the madhouse of Tasha's kiss? So, Terry, who is our winner today? Our winner is Zach Cutter. Congratulations to Zach Cutter. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Jeff Stevens a review. Make sure to check out all his other products. He does amazing work. Uh, I love Jeff. He's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he, he does good stuff. Can I also say that my, I love this adventure because it includes the madness table? And alters people's backstories, which I think is amazing. Before we we finish our closing, would each of you like to give yourselves a plug where people can find you, um, a pro- some uh, product you can direct them to? So you can follow me, uh, Terry underscore Herc on Twitter and Terry Herc Tomes on Facebook. Is that is that what you're under on uh, DMs Guild as well? Yeah, I... Published under Terry Herc, you can find adventures, magic items, anything under the sun. You can find it there. All right, then. Alan? Uh, yeah, I'm Alan Tucker on Twitter. I am Tucker Author. And uh, you can find me there. I've got uh, alantucker.net uh, is a, a, my website where you can find uh, links to my DMs Guild stuff as well as uh, novels I've written. Uh, in the past, fantasy and science fiction, and um, all kinds of fun stuff. You've written novels. That mm. is so hot. <laughs> Thank you. The devil you know. And there's a picture of an alien on the front. That is awesome. Aliens. Yep, that one's They're a science there. fantasy, kind of a mishmash. Nice. You sure it's not fact? It should be fact. Aliens exist. <laughs> I know. I've seen one. It was on August. Are you playing the conspiracy character? Yeah. Oh, I'm not playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been an absolute joy having you guys on. 
please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you guys, uh, from you, our heroes. We will be discussing D&D races. Can you believe it? We have not covered the races at all. Which is kind of surprising, actually. 123 episodes, and we have not covered races. So, um, for those of you that don't know, as of this recording, our next recording will be our live live show, which also will be a episode zero. We're going to remake a, lo- uh, a new episode as a lower level episode so that people can see all the changes in the formats and, and, and all the stuff that has changed over the last two years, which is a lot. It's not just my sexy professional voice either. Um, but our entire setup, our entire format has changed quite a bit and I'm excited to share that. So we're going to go back to the bases and cover something we somehow missed. This is what happens when I do all the notes by myself. I miss shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm really excited. If you have any feedback, unearthed tips and tricks or topics you would like us to discuss, you can send them to us, um, at critacademy at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at crit Academy. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here, or if you did, you can help others find our show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes, or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoyed the show. I love those emails. Please keep sending them. I feel so, like, bubbly on inside when I get to read those. And also, definitely be sure to give us a like and a share. If you would like to support our show, we have a Patreon. Um, We just recently restructured it going into May. If you sign up at the uh, $10 tier, you get uh, a free complimentary copy of our Honor Tips and Tricks book, as well as the most recent published release, which will be, as of this recording, is The Brawler, but next week will be our College of the Bard, The War Chanter, and lots of other goodies in their Discord channel, some cool stuff like that. Brandon does commissions. Head on over to our Facebook um, and check out his prices and his art. Definitely commission him to do some really cool art for you. How can they enter to win prizes? Oh, they have many options. The, the big one, though, is to make sure to, to subscribe to our show by going to com, so we can help you our listeners on your future adventures as well as a chance to win cool prizes every week. And you also find links to our very long list of uh, fellowship members as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, also, follow us on Twitch now. Our show will be going live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, so definitely follow us there. There's a link on our website to also click our DMs Guild stuff. Um, we get affiliate links. Uh, we have affiliate link, too, which is fantastic. And we um, are adding more stuff to DMs Guild. Yeah, so. there's just so much. Um, as for the Fellowship members, check out D&D Character Lab. Those guys every week make very in-depth characters and argue their validity in-game like a couple of bards duking it out. It's pretty fantastic. Also, check out uh, Interparty Conflict, where those bad boys, Gabe and Jeff, answer your questions. Every single week. We actually uh, got started on our show last Tuesday. We did. It was really exciting. Can't wait for that to go out. It was fun. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out for that. So once again, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys have been awesome. We hope you've had fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank yep. you for having us. Really appreciate the opportunity. I know I was glad to uh, listen to you guys at two cents on your own products. So yeah, and and it's all we always have. A, I always learn a lot when I invite uh, content creators for the from the guild on here because mm-hmm. there's so much work that goes involved uh, that's involved with the stuff, and it really needs to be out there how much work goes on. I saw somebody, and I hope it's not the two guests we have complaining that there wasn't hyperlinks in every PDF, and I was like, I don't even know how to do that. And if I did, I bet it'd be a lot more work than I already do. <laughs> so, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate how much work goes into these kind of products too. Right. So. But uh, you guys did awesome work. You should be very proud of the work you've accomplished. And I hope that everyone will go and pick up your uh, your um, artifacts of the guild using our affiliate link on our website. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs>
I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm Terry Herc. And I'm Alan Tucker. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Oh, yeah. <laughs>